Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in the Word this morning. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for what You have done in our lives by grace and through faith. And Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in China right now, Lord, that God, it's, it's infallible to us that, that you could be a Christian and not have a Bible. But that is the case. And so, Lord, help us who have been given much to be faithful. And so, Lord, we bless you as we turn our attention now to your word, that sword. Lord, that razor-sharp sword that rightly divides between soul and spirit. We ask you to speak to us. Bless us as we study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pick up now in verse 17 here in Ephesians 6 in our final study. And of course we begin with and take up the helmet of salvation which is the last defensive piece and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. And so very, very, very important piece here because really as we look at these last two pieces they are our offense. We've seen our defense. And I want to draw your attention very, very concisely to something that some of you may have picked up on. Some of you probably didn't. Maybe many of you did not. And that is all of these pieces of armor are none other than Jesus himself. He is the armor. And so it says in the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer in supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and all supplication for all the saints. That's for everybody. When we pray, we pray much, much more than for just ourselves. And as we get to that part this morning, I want to remind you that you have an obligation, not just a privilege, but an obligation to pray for the entire body of Christ. So when someone says, well, I can't really think about anything to pray about, um, the world... And everyone on it. So if you run out of that particular uh, possibility, I think, I think you probably have stopped a little short of what would be needed. So, And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You see, as I wield the sword of the Spirit in prayer, what I'm really able to do is then effectively wield the gospel which is what draws men to repentance, which brings people into the kingdom for which I am a mess or in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak and circle the word ought there. It's really how we should be. A lot of Christians, unfortunately, are not how they should be. They're how the world wants us to be. And rather than being bold and rather than being concise and rather than speaking the truth in love, they simply capitulate to the way the world thinks Christians ought to be and Christians ought to act and the way we ought to speak. And family, as I've shared with you so very concisely for the last month or so, it's time the church arose, awoke, and got busy. Because unless we're willing to speak the truth that has saved our souls, by the way, through which you will one day enter into the graces and glories of heaven, if we won't preach the gospel with our lives, with our voice, with our resources, then who will? It's not going to be the heathen that are lost, is it? It's not going to be the government that doesn't care, is it? It's the body of Christ. 
And so this morning, a little bit of challenge. The first thing here, the sword of the Spirit. And notice this passage in Hebrews chapter 4, very important. It says there in verse 12, For the word of God is living and powerful. It's living and it is powerful. It's living and it is powerful. It's not a book that should be collecting dust on a shelf someplace in your house. It's living and it's powerful. Even that two-edged sword piercing the division of soul and spirit, the fullness of who you are, the joints and marrow, if you collectively look at those things, that's all that anyone ever is as a human being. It describes your mind, it describes your emotions, and it describes your body. The Word of God is able to minister in every situation through the whole of the scope of the human experience. Whether it affects your mind or whether it affects your emotions, your heart, or whether it literally can affect your body. Because I can tell you the Word of God can affect your body. Because when you're set free from drugs, it affects your body. When you're set free from sin, it affects your body. Do you get the picture? The Word of God is able to do that. It affects the whole person. And so it says there, it goes on, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. More than just the mind, more than just the word, more than just the body and the actions, but the very sum and substance of why we are the way we are. That's what the Word can do if we let it do that. And that's how it should be in the life of those of us who name the name of the Lord. You you see, what your Bible says is this, that in this use of this weapon, that what we really are doing is we're taking out the only thing that can actually do the job. Because you know what? Human psychology doesn't get the job done. Human psychiatry doesn't get the job done. Raw knowledge doesn't get the job done. We're flush with knowledge. Connie and I were driving down the freeway yesterday. I'm sitting there and she's talking to me and I look at her and she's over there Googling something on her phone. And we're trying to figure out, well, where do we go? We can get maps and directions and you talk to the silly thing and it talks back. We have all kinds of knowledge, but knowledge doesn't fix anything. In fact, sometimes it makes it worse. doesn't mean that you shouldn't endeavor to be as intelligent as you possibly can. It simply means that the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is able to transcend even knowledge. Peter, in Acts chapter 2, as he was delivering this amazing sermon, He speaks a message that's a scant 260 words, and in it 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. It's powerful. You see, it does what God intended it to do. And it says there in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, and now when they heard this, Simply the Word. All Peter did was quote a couple of passages of Scripture while saying, look guys, this is how it goes. Countrymen, here's the, here's the issue, here's the deal, here's what the Bible says about how you've received these things. They were cut to the heart. And then the question is asked by all the people watching, men and brethren, what shall we do? 
You see, when you look at the power of the Word of God, it is unique on all of the earth. There is nothing like it. There is no other book that matches it. There is no other piece of literature that you can pick up that is literally the inspired Word of God. God wrote it. He authored it by the Holy Spirit. Men of old wrote it down. You and I still have it. And it is as true today as it was when it was written. This is truth. I can tell you what you won't find in Barnes & Noble. Much truth. You'll find some information. You'll find a little smattering of truth here or there. But you're not going to pick up any other book than this one that is truth from cover to cover. Peter tried to use the other kind of sword in the garden. You remember that little exchange? (laughs) You know, swords have their value. Your Bible says that the government wields it so that it can be a force against evil. It's necessary in that regard. But the sword of the Spirit, your offensive weapon, that Word of God in your life is able to do things that a physical sword cannot. Threats, words, information can accomplish some purposes. But I can tell you this, we hear a lot of things daily in the news that are supposed to be truth, that have pretty much no value. Amen? There's nothing in your Bible that is of no value. Nothing. When Jesus, and I want to point your attention here for just a moment, when Jesus was tempted in Luke chapter 4, and you all basically know the story, Jesus is taken by Satan to a high mountain, Jesus has been filled with the Spirit. He's baptized in the Jordan. He's then led away into the wilderness. If you're in Israel, and as you travel from the Jordan Valley, um, either direction, it does not matter which way you go, whether you go into Jordan to the east, or whether you go west and back into the mountains, the Judean hills, it is as desolate a place as there is on the earth. And as Jesus is taken up on a high mountain, as you leave that rift valley, it's the part, it's the northern end of the African rift valley. And as you wander through that, there are mountains and cliffs on both sides, and Jesus is taken up onto a high place. And the very first thing that happens is as he's filled with the Spirit, the the devil comes to him, and Jesus was hungry, it says there in the first several verses. How did Jesus respond? He didn't respond with, wow, you know, if you just give me some bread, I'll do whatever. He he said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus, when he was hungry, physically attacked, he used the word of God. Secondarily, he was taken up onto that high mountain and said, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, the enemy says. So, spiritually... He was attacked. Who are you going to worship? How does Jesus respond? Thou shalt worship the Lord God alone, is how he responded. He responded with the Word of God. Jesus, when tested, when tried, responded with the Word. If Jesus himself responded with the Word, how good an idea do you think it is that you would respond with the Word of God when tested? When something comes your way and the enemy's beating on your brains, when the enemy is beating on your body, when your soul is afflicted and your spirit is getting squished, what weapon would you want? The one of the flesh or the one of the spirit? And then finally, Jesus is tested in his mind. 
And notice how it's, it's worded there. Beginning in verse 9 of Luke 4, it says, And then he brought him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself off of here. And I want you to notice something very crafty here. If you are the Son of God, notice what Satan does right after that in verse 10. For it is written. The enemy can falsely use the Word of God to try and make you believe that, oh, well, you're doing the Lord's will. And by the way, that is what all cults do. They pick and choose and misquote and malinterpret and absolutely abhorrently apply the actual Word of God to make it say things that it does not say. They take it out of context. So the answer to temptation, three times Jesus said, it is written. Read it, know it, stand on it, quote it, and say what Jesus said, take a hike, Satan. It's an offensive weapon. Why? Because the truth is the truth. It always wins out. And so we wield the truth. As D.L. Moody says, you can prove anything by misquoting the Bible. You take it out of context, leave out a few words here. There are even Christian denominations that do the same thing. There are people that sit around and try and prove that the only thing that matters is God's sovereign plan. And they use John 3.16 to, to prove it. Only problem is they leave out the second half of the verse and the three verses following where it says and emphasizes, if you believe. Believing is a human action. It's you wielding the sword. It's you taking action on what you have heard. It's the Word of God becoming alive to you and to me. And the problem that we face is that the Word is constantly being tested in our lives. And sometimes people give up on the Word of God and they follow after, if you will, the plans of the world. And that's where they get hung up. They start caring more about what somebody wrote about the Bible than what the Bible says about itself. Your Bible is the Word of God. My words, hopefully, are nothing but an illumination to what God's Word says. But my words are not the Word of God. The only time I'm speaking the actual Word of God is when I speak what this says to you. Other than that, I'm doing what Nehemiah 8.8 8 says, which is to read it distinctively, give you sense and meaning to what God was saying when He spoke those things, and prayerfully, as I say to you often, hopefully I didn't mess it up. It is the Word that has that power. The emphasis that we ought to have is on how we apply it. And so, when you look at the armor of God, I want you to notice something now just briefly with me. When you look at the whole armor of God, all seven pieces, look at it. Jesus Christ is the truth. Amen? John 14:6. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. Jesus Christ is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. Amen? Jesus is our faithfulness. Galatians 2:20. Amen? Jesus is our salvation, Luke 2, 20, 30, amen? He is the Word of God, John 1, amen? amen. So you get in the picture? 
So when you're putting on this armor, you're putting on, you're doing exactly what Paul encouraged the church to do in Colossians chapter 3. He said, put on the new man which is being renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, you, me. I'm putting on Jesus, that's what I'm putting on. I'm wielding the Word of God, which is that which Jesus actually is. So when you think about this, the best way to remember it is, who am I in Christ? Well, I'm defended because He is the truth. I'm defended because He is my righteousness. I'm defended because He is my peace. I'm defended because He is my faith. I'm defended because He is my salvation. I am able to go out and take ground because He is the Word. And finally, the other offensive weapon, prayer. It is through Him we pray. Amen? Amen. When I pray, I pray in Jesus' name. And by the way, that is exactly why our president, now our military, are demanding that if you pray in a public circle, be it in Congress, in the White House, at the Pentagon, on TV before the president, that you do not pray in Jesus' name. Because His name is the name above every name. And His name is the name at one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. His name is actually the name that has the power to get those prayers to do something. You you see, this is all about Jesus. The armor of God is you being who you're supposed to be in Christ. It's not about you joining some club. It's not about you being a member of a specific group. It is not about you going to some school and learning a set of guidelines or, or theological doctrinal points. It's about you being like Jesus. That's what it is. People often turn this armor into something that's theoretical. Often something that's rather mystical. It's neither theoretical nor mystical. You're putting on Christ. You're walking in the Spirit of the living God. You're filled with all of the truth that Jesus is, all of the righteousness that Jesus is, the salvation that He has brung, the peace that He gives. Do you get it? That's your armor. That's why you can win. Can anything beat that? The answer is no. Not if wielded and worn correctly. You see, as I put on Christ... I am strengthened. And I want to remind you that you need both the defense and the offensive portions of who Christ is in you, which is, according to your Bible, your hope of glory. Amen? That's who you are. That's who you will be. That's where you will go. One day you're going to completely be like Jesus. Our goal is right now to get as close as we possibly can. Not as far away and still maintain salvation. You realize there's a lot of the church that thinks the latter of those two things? Well, you know, as long as I have my fire insurance, you know, as long as I'm not going to fry one day, then I'll just live my life how I want. And it is those people who get killed in battle spiritually. They're the ones that get shot down and shot up. They're the ones that do not survive the attack because they haven't put on Christ. They're not walking in the Spirit. 
They are not appropriating that righteousness. They're not walking in God's peace. They absolutely don't even understand what they have as the great resources and riches that we have in heaven. They haven't got a clue. They're walking around defenseless because they're clothed in themselves. And if you walk around that way, you can count on getting beat up big time. Because Christ is my defense. That truth that I'm able to speak because He spoke it first is absolutely irrefutable. When someone comes to me and they say, well, you know, I just don't, well, that's, you may not believe it, but God said it, I'm standing on it, that settles it for me. You can't believe how many arguments that eliminates. People go, well, you know, I wanted to, no, I don't want to debate it. Tell you can tell me that there's something in here that's not true. When this says it, I'm good with that. It's Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the Word. So I stand in that. I want to tell you something. This armor doesn't do you a bit of good just knowing about it. Think of it now in the practical sense. Let's modernize it a little bit for you because I think it helps. Let's say you have joined the military, specifically you're in the army, you're in an armored division, and in fact you are, your duty is inside of an M1, A1, Abrams tank. The fastest armored vehicle ever built by man. Top in 60, 65 miles an hour. Tracking systems on it, able to engage up to 10 targets simultaneously while driving at full speed. Pretty amazing piece of armor. You're out there, you're inside of it, they can take a direct hit from a 105 howitzer and survive. Pretty amazing piece of armor. Now you're supposed to be inside that M1A1 Abrams tank. And as the enemy's coming at you, you decide, well, I'm going to grab my M4 and I'm going to go outside and I think I can take them on without the tank. You are not very bright. Okay, I would rather be inside the tank, behind the armor, going really fast, engaging everyone with electronics instead of my helmet. That's how Christians are. You have this armor. You have the capacity to be protected, and yet you don't. You're going to st- okay, come on, enemy. I, I've actually had people tell me, well, you know, I just, I just cast out the devil. I'm, I'm glad that you, you speak those words of truth because they are true, but I'm going to tell you this, I want some armor if I'm going to battle the devil. I don't want to go out there half-armed. I need to appropriate the armor of God, and then I need to engage the armor of God. I need to get it, and I need to put it on. Not wander around kind of half-covered. Finally, prayer. And let's pick up in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all of the saints and for me that the utterance might be given to me that I might open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I might speak boldly as I ought to speak. Look at it this way. 
We'll stick with the military analogy. That was what Paul was using then. He was using the Roman army, the Roman soldier, and the Roman way of fighting at that time. Let's modernize it a bit. Our armored brigade just shows up. Here's what happened. Happened during Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom, both. We now use what are called laser targeting systems. And the forward operating base has soldiers that go out into the field of battle, small support team. They have what's called a laser target designator. That laser target designator is actually a laser beam. And all they do is sit there behind enemy lines, and there goes the target. They point the laser on it, and guess what comes from 35,000 feet above? Instant destruction. That laser-guided bomb goes right where that laser's pointed. Prayer is that targeting laser. It's saying, Lord, the enemy is kicking the tar out of me over here. He's beating my friends up over there. We need more Bibles in China. The VBS needs more labors. We have to do this. We need that, Lord. We need you to put something down right here. And so in that regard... Prayer is that thing which targets the power of God exactly where the will of God would have it go. And that is what you're trying to accomplish. It's, Lord, please focus your attention here because as far as as best I know it, your will is to accomplish this purpose right here, right now. That's prayer. Now I can tell you what happened but a scant hundred years earlier. We use what are called dumb bombs, dumb weapons. You just kind of launch stuff out into space, and wherever they landed, they landed. Not very effective at taking out the enemy, amen? If you want to hit the enemy, you might want to tell God where to hit him. You need to pray. We need to pray. We saw this in the life of Joshua as he's fighting Amalek, who was the king of the Moabites, who dwelled in modern-day Jordan. If you remember the story there, uh, it's, it's an amazing story because what happens is these guys are doing two things. They're praying and they're fighting. But they're praying and they're fighting. They're not doing one or the other, they're doing both. They're saying, you know what, we need to pray on the mountain and we need to use the sword in the valley. You kind of get a picture there? It's pretty much the two offensive weapons. While Moses was interceding on the mountain, Joshua was fighting down in the valley. We had prayer going on while we have the Word of God being wielded. That's those offensive weapons that we have. Too very often in, in the life of believers, we do one or the other. And we don't pray as we ought to. And there are some points to our prayer. And I want you to notice these things. You see, this prayer, this final piece, as you really look at what you do there, there's all kinds of different prayer. There isn't just, you know, sometimes you say, well, you know, I just pray. No, there's that standard communication that we have with God. Look at it this way. Number one, we ought to always pray. Amen? Always praying means always praying. Now, people, unfortunately, because they've got the wrong vision of prayer, oh, dear glorious God, you know, you can't drive down the freeway doing that. You cannot get on your knees in your car behind the steering wheel with your arms raised towards heaven with your eyes closed unless you want to die. Praying always, if we can't do it, 
It wouldn't say it. We can do it. Look at it like this. We live in an age of modern technology. It's illegal in our state to talk on your cell phone. Amen? It's not illegal, however, to have a Bluetooth headset or a hands-free device. It's the same. Probably some of you have seen those folks, and, and quite frankly, they look a little bit, well, goofy. Uh, they're in Walmart, and, and you see them walking down the aisle, and they're talking to themselves, you think. Actually, what you don't see is the headset on the other side, and they're really talking to somebody else. But they're, you know, like, oh, yeah, they're, this is on sale. And you're like, dude, quiet, you're weird. But that really is a picture of how we ought to be in relationship to the Lord. It's like, God, I'm driving down the freeway. Remove these flatlanders from my sight, oh God. Could they go over 20? Just one type of prayer that I pray. You all know what I'm saying. There are all kinds of things that you just simply need to be in constant communication with God. With some of it, maybe it's our temper. With some of it, man, you're tempted and you're in that situation. It's like, Lord, help my eyes to stay focused, my heart to be true. It is praying always in all things about everything. And those prayers can be supplication. They can be intercession. They can be thanksgiving. There's all kinds of different kinds of prayers. You know, we're getting ready next week. We're going to go to Mammoth. When I drive by the eastern slope of the high Sierras, I have prayers of praise and thanksgiving. God, I cannot believe that you made this earth this beautiful. I can't even imagine what heaven would be like. That's thanksgiving. Sometimes you're sitting there with your family and you just look at what God's done in your life and you're offering up thankful prayers to God saying, Lord, thank you for the blessings that you've bestowed in my life. Always praying. Not sitting around, well, you know, it's prayer time. It's always prayer time. If you don't have that in your mind, please, in Jesus' name, receive this morning that it is always prayer time. Always I am constantly talking to the Lord. Sometimes I talk to myself, but I'm usually talking to the Lord. So if you see me mumbling something going across the parking lot, chances are it's the Lord. It may be me, but most likely it's like, Lord, I had a situation yesterday. We went down the hill and and I went men to Harbor Freight. You all know that place. We should actually not go there. It's sin, but... Went into heart. We came back out, and there's this lady, and I mean, she had foxtails in her hair and in her clothes, and you could tell she was she had been sleeping God only knows where, and and she was covered head to toe in filth. And I just stopped, and it's like, Lord, give me something to say to her. And and she reached out her hand. She says, I haven't eaten in a couple of days, and I I just handed her a five spot, and I said, Jesus loves you. And she goes, I know. It's just praying. It's like, Lord, this is a weird situation. It's uncomfortable as all get out. I don't know what to say to someone who sleeps under a bridge, but help me say something. And so he did. And I walked away freed. It's like, Lord, thank you. I was able to praise. And that's not to bring any attention to me. That's just to say that's praying always about everything. We need to pray. 
with all kinds of prayers, 24-7, 365. As the Lord showed us how to pray, you might remember that what He did was, in essence, give us the type of prayers that we ought to pray. And when Jesus prayed, He prayed to the Father and through Himself and in the Spirit. That's how it works. Jesus Himself is now the intercessor. He sits in heaven. And so I address my prayers to Jesus. If anybody can get through to Father God, I would believe it's Him. It's like in Jesus' name. He's got a little extra clout. He's got more clout than you do or I do. And I want to pray in conjunction with what the Spirit wants. And so as we pray, we pray in the Spirit. As Romans chapter 8 tells us, that as we pray in the Spirit, we know and understand the will of God. How many of you have prayed for lame things that were not of the will of God? Uh, I have. I've prayed for all kinds of lame things that were not in the will of God. I've prayed for people. I've prayed for places. I've prayed for stuff. I've prayed for jobs. All kinds of stuff not in the will of God. It is important, family of God, if you want to wield prayer in a proper way, so now imagine you have your laser target designator and you want the prayers to go someplace, who do you want actually aiming the thing? You can get some help aiming it the right direction. It's called the Spirit of God. I want it to go over there, but Lord, if that's not what you want to hit with that prayer, then help me to change the focus. I've had some Bible college students that have, oh my goodness. Well, I met her yesterday and I know God told me to marry her. You are as dumb as a rock. That was not God speaking to you, I can tell you that. You you need to pray in the Spirit, Lord, what do you want for me? Yes, she's beautiful. Yes, she said hi to you. That's not necessarily the Word of God. That's not necessarily the will of God. Yes, you have some commonalities. Well, that car was on sale. It's $10,000 off. Yeah, but it's still $80,000 out of your budget. It's not the will of God. Gonna go buy that, gonna go buy that house. Well, you know, if I just lie on this form and lie on that form, then I can get that house. That's not the will of God. You get what I'm saying? Pray in the will of God. Ask the Lord if He wants you to have that house. And don't settle for anything less than His voice on the matter. People often pray prayers that are basically you're trying to convince God to do what you want. That is the wrong kind of praying. You're simply saying to God, God, you please do what you want to do in this situation, but I'm aware something needs to be done. You help me understand what it is that you want done. That's proper prayer life. And frankly, I am probably more thankful for the things that God has not done in my life that I've asked Him to do than the things that He has done that I've asked Him to do. Because I've asked Him to do some dumb stuff. We need to pray with our eyes open. Joshua watched and prayed. Nehemiah watched and prayed. The apostles watched and prayed. And I don't mean physically all the time. Of course there's a time for you to close your eyes and be still before the Lord. But are you alert? Are, Are you seeing what God wants you to see? 
Take heed, watch and pray, Jesus said. Jesus himself said about my flesh, watch and pray lest you be tempted. The, the devil himself is afraid of you watching and praying. He'd rather that you pray aimlessly, that you just babble. That's why Jesus said, don't do as the heathen do with vain repetition. He said, but rather go into your closet and ask God how you ought to pray. And then it ends with praying for all the saints. I can tell you this. If you simply take up the praying for all the saints, you're going to have more than enough to pray about. Because if you just pray for me, you're going to have a couple of days worth of prayer every week. Yeah, in Jesus' name. My Greek sister and I, we have to pray for each other. Yeah, think about it. How many people do you know and you know enough details about their life to effectively pray for them for five minutes? I'll bet you know hundreds of people. Five minutes apiece, do the math. Pray without ceasing. Pray always. But guess what? You're going to have to pray with your eyes open because you're going to be at work. You're going to be driving. You're going to... It's an attitude and an action. It's you saying with everything within you, Lord, I want to pray in the Spirit. I want to pray with my eyes. I want to keep on praying. I want to pray for all the saints. And because of that, it develops that attitude of prayer. I'm constantly asking God. I was in the kitchen back here and there was a whole box of goodies. And I'm, God, deliver me from this present temptation. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I, oh, that looks awful good. And I can come out here with crumbs hanging off my face. and I'm praying. I'm trying to help you understand it really is that simple. There are things at times that we just like, Lord, help me with this decision. I don't know what to do. Don't act prideful like you got it covered, because chances are you don't. And if you think it, I know you don't. And so, our offense. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our prayer, our power source, if you will. Those two things can be wielded both offensively and defensively, really, but they're offensive weapons. Man, I'm, I'm getting beat up, so I pray. I'm getting attacked, I pray. Someone else is getting beat up, I pray. The nation's going through trouble, I, I pray. You get the picture? You see, that's the only way I can attack the enemy. I need to know what God's Word says and live by it, do it, and then I need to pray about what God's Word says chiefly and apply it to my life. And then the defense, girdle of truth breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. Basically, family, put on Jesus. He is our word. He is our intercessor. He is the truth. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. He is our faith. He is our light and our salvation. Amen? So as we put on Jesus, we're going to be okay. You don't put on Jesus... Count on having some extra bruises and bumps. If you want to fight to win, put on Jesus. Get girded up. Let's get going. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You, Lord, for the armor that we have in Christ. and Lord Jesus, thank You that in each one of these things, Lord, <laughs> You are the Word. You're the truth. Lord, You're that source and intercessor in prayer. And 
Father, as we look at your righteousness that's supplied to us through Jesus and the peace that we have because we know him, or that faith that we have because you gave it to us, and that salvation that is ours because we have believed, it's all because of you, Jesus. May we appropriate each day all of this armor. Would you bless us? Would you anoint us? And as we close out this book with this simple benediction, Lord, uh, you sent Paul into the world for this very purpose, and you sent us into this world for this very purpose, to bring peace to the brethren, to have that loving faith in God, to, to give that grace to those who meet us. Lord, we're thankful. We bless you. We praise you. And Lord, as we leave this place and leave behind our gifts and tithes and offerings, Lord, would you put us fully girded up and ready for battle as we leave. Bless us, God. Anoint us to the purposes for which you have us on this earth in the first place. It's in Jesus' name we pray.